Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hi, I'm Oksana Schlobin. I am a medical director of pulmonary hypertension program at Inova Fairfax Hospital. Uh, joining me today to discuss pulmonary hypertension in interstitial lung disease is Sudha Rajagopal from Duke University and uh, Raj Sager from UCLA. Welcome. So this is an exciting time for the field of pulmonary hypertension in interstitial lung disease. We now have um, an approved therapy of inhaled trobrostanil to treat these patients. And it's, it's a huge advancement because we've uh, dealt with these patients with no approved therapies for years. These patients have a horrible quality of life and very high mortality. So I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. So, um, Raj, let's start with you. Uh, tell me how you phenotype those patients. Uh, there is this sort of big controversy, some, uh, whether someone has group 1 versus group 3 disease. Tell us a little bit more about how you approach to phenotyping. Yeah, Oksana, it's a great question. And like you said, it is, it is a controversy in the sense that I'm not sure it's a, it's a perfect art just yet. So, But we do have some markers for sort of how to distinguish the two groups. One of the key differences, of course, between group three and group one is that you have to have some form of lung disease to be group three. And so if you look at the, you know, the study that got the inhaled triprostin approved, they asked for diffuse parenchymal lung disease on the HRCT of the chest. So I think having enough lung disease, um, and as you know, in a lot of our group one PAH studies, uh, we allowed for mild interstitial lung disease or fibrosis as part of that phenotype. So basically, anything more than mild diffuse parenchymal lung disease, interstitial lung disease, or fibrosis, and or fibrosis would qualify. So moderate or more, I think, would, would cover that base. And then I think, in, in general, the hemodynamics, um, you know, we tend to ask or tend to find patients with sort of more advanced hemodynamics. Not, it's not necessarily necessary, but the more pulmonary hypertension they have, the more likely they are to have a pulmonary hypertension phenotype. And in the setting of that lung disease, be more likely to have a group three phenotype as opposed to group, a group one. Uh, we obviously use spirometry. Spirometry, as, as we all know, uh, preservation of the forced vital capacity, the more that's out of proportion, that preservation to a decline in the diffusing capacity, hence that FVC-DLCO ratio, uh, being more elevated is more supportive, perhaps, perhaps, of, of a phenotype that supports a group 3 pH. Um, and then what's fun about, about this whole thing is also connective tissue disease being a risk factor really for both types of, of pulmonary hypertension. So that throws a wrench uh, into the whole thing as well. Um, and what you really don't want to miss, right, is the opportunity to treat uh, the patient. Uh, and now with the, with the, uh, uh, approval of inhaled triprostanil, there at least is an option, um, which I think, um, given the mortality of these patients, uh, we may want to consider uh, the use of that medication, at least as a trial, um, even when there may be a little bit of a, a muddy, a gray area, perhaps, uh, between how you want to label that patient, group one versus group three. Thank you for that. That was a, a very a great explanation mm -hmm. and, and a guide, perhaps, uh, to phenotyping 
Sudar, I, I wanted to uh, explore this just a little bit more. Uh, these patients tend to be older. Um, they tend to have cardiac um, uh, comorbidities, so hypertension, um, uh, coronary artery disease, uh, sometimes um, AFib, sometimes, sometimes sleep apnea. Um, and we do know that some um, pulmonary vasodilators actually can be detrimental in patients uh, who have HFPEF, for example, or, or pulmonary venous vasculopathy. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more how you tease out this uh, cardiac phenotype in a setting of parenchymal lung disease, or I guess left heart disease phenotype. Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's a challenge I think we all run into. As you uh, stated, you know, a lot of these folks with ILD, especially the IPF patient, when you think about your typical IPF patient, you're talking about an older man and who's had a smoking history. So when you're thinking about those patients, they have all the same risk factors for heart disease, whether it's coronary artery disease, AFib, uh, or, and of course, HFPEF. And with age, of course, and all of us, uh, there is some uh, diastolic stiffening and you're going to have some type of, you know, uh, abnormal diastology that could contribute to their uh, you know, presentation. So really, it's just like uh, Rajan was talking about when we phenotype these patients, it's really in a very personalized way. We have to figure out what we think is contributing to their dyspnea and what their degree of precapillary pulmonary hypertension is. Although even that term precapillary pulmonary hypertension can be a bit misleading because you can have a high PVR due to pulmonary venous remodeling as well. So it's really trying to figure out whether we think that they have significant pulmonary arteriopathy there that's related to their underlying lung disease. And so definitely on the right heart cath, when we look at that, yes, for a typical IPAH patient, we're looking for that PVR for diagnosis greater than two, but historically for treatment greater than uh, three wood units. If you look at the increased trial, they did treat patients, uh, you know, for entry, the cutoff was a PVR greater than or equal to three wood units. But the benefit in their sort of subgroup analysis on the forest plot, they saw more of the benefit in that greater than four wood units population. So for definitely, if you're seeing that in there and their hemodynamics, they have a higher PVR. If on their echocardiogram, they show more evidence of right heart failure. Ideally, they don't have a ton of left atrial enlargement. Obviously, severe left atrial enlargement is always a red flag in all of these patients. Those are the times now immediately you're thinking, okay, maybe these are patients who could benefit from that. And then there are other approaches too, right? We can volume load the patient to see uh, how their wedge responds to that uh, volume load. And you can do things like invasive cardiopulmonary exercise testing or just regular cardiopulmonary exercise testing and determine whether they're more respiratory or cardiac limited. If they're more cardiac limited, that definitely gets me more concerned about right heart failure being the main issue with their presentation. Well, thank you so much. I I really appreciate um, that both of you joined I'm here today to discuss this important topic of phenotyping patients with pulmonary hypertension in a setting of interstitial lung diseases. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.